0: geometry behind this. The conclusion you reach is that I'm dead and then you're There has been an attempt, as perhaps you know now, on the life of President Kennedy. What's up 9am, how you guys doing? You made it to church, I'm so glad that you're here with us today. We are in a series called uh, Fooled, and this is a conversation that we're having leading up to Easter about the resurrection, and if you didn't know this, uh, this year Easter Sunday is on April Fool's Day. And so we're actually kind of taking that as a foundation for this series that um, a lot of people see the resurrection sort of like a, like an urban legend or a myth or something that maybe this, this old lie that's kind of been passed down from generation to generation. And so we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul is talking about the resurrection. And it's really the longest passage in scripture dedicated to making a case that Jesus is actually alive. And so we thought this would be a great way to prepare. Our hearts for uh, Easter Sunday is just talking through this this conversation. Is Jesus alive? Do we really believe this uh, today? And so, um, I would encourage you just go back last week if you weren't here at church and listen to that message as we just kind of opened up the whole conversation. This is really a great talk, I would say, for uh, people who are skeptical, um, or maybe if you're here today and you would say, "I've been a Christian my whole life, but um, it, it hasn't really gotten into my soul for a while." Like I. I feel like I've kind of gone stagnant and a lot of a lot of change going on, I would really encourage you be here every single week. I think this is going to be a great series to uh, to really kickstart um, our, our hearts and our faith in so many ways. Also, for you guys, 9 a.m., um, I don't know if you guys know this, we actually live stream our 11 a.m. service on Facebook Live, and so I want to encourage you, even during service today, um, just get on Facebook, invite your friends to watch church with you at 11. So if, if you happen to get enough out of this service that you're like, I need to listen again, uh, let me encourage you just get online, invite your friends, watch the message with them. And we're actually having some Facebook streaming issues, some copyright things. And so if you don't watch it while it's live, you may not get to watch it at all, at least until it goes online later on the website. So uh, use that, just a great opportunity for people who um, maybe don't want to come to church or are afraid to come in these doors, because uh, it, it's it's more um, anxiety-producing than I think many of us realize to go to church for the first time. Maybe you remember the first time you walked in the doors, and so it's a great way for people to be a part of our community from a distance. And so would you stand with me? We're going to stand in honor of God's word today. Um, we're going to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. Let me just read this for us as we start. It says this, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true, that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Let's pray as we start off today. Jesus, thank you for your word to us. That it is just as as relevant to us here today in 2018 in Alaska as the date that it was written. Father, we ask that you'd open our hearts to your scriptures, God, that we could be fully present in this moment right now, hearing you speak. Uh, God, get my words out of the way, help for your word to be proclaimed and declared here today. Um, God, I just pray that we'd have openness and that we'd hear you. And Father, that we'd come out of today believing a little deeper that you truly are alive. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you can be seated. So last week we started off this conversation by giving some evidences of uh, the resurrection. We talked about three specific evidences that we see in the first section of 1 Corinthians 15. The first, um, and and I think primary evidence that we talked about last week, is the changed life. Um, and, And I said this a couple times, that I believe the most powerful and strongest evidence of the resurrected Christ is a resurrected life that our resurrected life, the way that we live today actually shows people that Jesus is alive or, or it shows people that he's not based on how the church lives. And so we are, we are a walking testimony, a walking declaration, either Jesus is alive or Jesus is not based on the way that we live in the world. And so the challenge last week was really, do people see that Jesus is alive as they look at you? Can they tell? Can they see the resurrected Christ in the way that we live? We talked about the witnesses and how Jesus, after the resurrection, he, he showed himself to all of these people, starting off with Peter and then working his way out to his different uh, different men and women that he influenced, up to 500 people that he showed himself to. And so there were actual walking around witnesses the day that this passage was actually penned, the day that Paul wrote this letter. He's like, hey, go talk to this guy. Go Go talk to this lady. They both saw Jesus after the resurrection. And we talked about the scriptures and how Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy that we see throughout the Old Testament and how after the study of that you you, you kind of go man i 'm having a hard time defending that this isn't the Messiah that we that we always had 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 dreamed of and believed in I mean it, it becomes really difficult to come up with any other solution than Jesus was actually the Messiah. Now if you're here today and you're maybe wondering like, why are we talking about this? Um, why does this matter? I'd say probably for a lot of people, they come to church and, and maybe, uh, maybe you came here today and you're like, can you just help me to get my life together? Uh, can you give me five steps to get over my addiction uh, to alcohol? Can you give me five ways to be a better husband or to be a better wife? Or can you help me to succeed at life or to make a little bit more money? Right? Can, can you just give me some tips to fix my life? Here's the thing. This idea of the resurrection, it's, it, it's more than just how to live better. I, I want you to po- believe differently. And, and I really believe that when, when Christians especially, when you get your head wrapped around this idea that Jesus is alive, it's gonna begin to change your marriage. And it's gonna begin to change the way that you see your job. And it's gonna to begin to, to change the way that you see that, that issue that you have, that addiction that you've been dealing with. It's actually gonna to begin to affect the way that you live, but we, ha- we first have to start with the way that we believe. I believe that different belief leads to different thinking which leads to different living. Different belief leads to different thinking which leads to different living. We have to begin with our beliefs. Too often in the church we tell you a bunch of ways to be better people. Hey, go and just act better in this life. And so we, we go and do that for a little while and then it doesn't hold up, right? We can't sustain it because our beliefs have not truly changed about who we are and about this issue in our life and ultimately about who God is, that he is alive and active and working in the world today. So this is absolutely huge. I don't want you just to fake it. I don't want you to fake a resurrected life, I want you to live a resurrected life. And this change of living is actually where we get the word repentance. And the word repentance is the Greek word metanoia. Meta meaning change, noia meaning mind. And so I want us to actually change our mind about the way that we live, about how we see ourselves, and about how we see God, that he actually is alive. But we can't just follow Jesus. We can't just use him as a way to live better. He's not just a moral teacher. He actually is God himself living and active. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And so you need to know this. If you're here today and you're like, well, can't I just follow the teachings of Jesus um, and kind of leave this whole resurrection thing out? Can't he just be a moral teacher? And, and a lot of times people will do that. Maybe that's why you're here today. And, and I'm glad that you're here trying to learn about Jesus, trying to use him as a, as a moral teacher. But in the end, when you, when you get down to it, doesn't the fact that Jesus claims to be God himself, that he claims to be somebody who can give you eternal life, if that's not true, doesn't it undermine his teaching a little bit, Right? I mean, doesn't that change the message that Jesus is proclaiming a little bit? We, we kind have of to, have to use this issue and deal with this issue to d- then to receive all of the other things that Jesus taught. And so in this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is dealing with this misunderstanding in the church. Um, he's dealing with this, this tension that's happening between religious and political leaders. And it, and it comes down to this idea that some believe there is no resurrection of the dead. That in the end, when you die, your soul is just sort of annihilated, you disappear and you turn to dust and, and then you're gone. There, there's nothing after, after this life. So in Jesus' day, there were two specific religious leaders that we hear about, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. You guys maybe have heard those, those terms before. The Sadducees were these wealthy political leaders who believed specifically and only in the written word of God. And so that is what they put their hope and their faith in. They were literalists who sort of put the holiness of God and the journey of a believer in a box and said, hey, it's one plus one equals two, and it's all a math equation. If you just do these things, then you're good. So that's the Sadducees. Then there's the, the Pharisees who were religious leaders that believed in the oral traditions. They put a lot of faith in, in, in the understanding and explanation. It'd be like you going, well, I'm not so sure I care that much about what the Word of God says. I just kind of care what Brian says. Bad idea, right? Bad idea. So, so there's these two different parties going, hey, I'm going to sort of expound and expand on the Scriptures and, and kind of make it mean whatever I want it to mean. Or, or what we see in the life of the Pharisees is they took the law and they expanded the law to become a burden that absolutely nobody could carry, or you've got people over here who are like, well, if I, just, if I just follow the rules, I'm good. And so for as much grief as we give the Sadducees and the Pharisees, I think we see ourselves in them in so many ways, don't we? I mean, there are many of us in the room who struggle with both of these things. Either we, we see it just as a, as a rule book, you know, God's rule book for life. Or we see the scriptures as sort of like, you know, guidelines, we'll do what we want with them, sort of like speed limits, Right? So, so who here is like a absolute literalist when it comes to speed limits? You only drive 65 on the highway, anybody? Okay, anybody? Cliff, my father-in-law in the back, he is. That's awesome. <laughs> he is, I've ridden with him. He is absolutely a literalist on that speed limit. But other people who, now I live by the five mile per hour rule, anybody else? You know? <laughs> we know, hey, up to five miles an hour above, I'm probably not gonna get a ticket. You know, so there, there's a lot of different ways to see things, but we wanna we wanna understand the scriptures and the commandments of God, and understand that they are literal, and they also provide us a lesson. They are literal, and they also you can get a, you can get a ticket for going 66. Trust me, I know you can. But they also provide us a lesson. Anybody ever um, back in the day driven in Montana when there's like there was no speed limits on this section of highway? I remember I was driving through there, and I think I think have actually put speed limits in at this point, but for a while there, there were these sections of the highway that you could go as fast as you wanted, and I remember just getting on this highway, almost getting an adrenaline rush, like I could go 150 miles an hour, but knowing that would be stupid, right, because I've driven by speed limits my entire life. I know that, that they're there to help me, right, they're there to, to guide me. So the commandments of God, they're literal, but they also provide us a lesson, And we don't want to be the kind of people that fall on either side of the rule. Some Christians are obsessed with only what is required. Like you are here today because you're supposed to go to church on Sunday, right? And you put 10% of your income in the plate because that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to put 10% of your income in the plate, right? And you do all of these things because it is what is required. And you ask questions like this, what is it that I have to do to get to heaven? Tell me what are the things that I have to do to get get to heaven. How much do I have to give? How many weeks am I supposed to go to church a month? How often am I supposed to serve? Like you want guidelines and rules. So you're obsessed with what's required. Others of us in the room are obsessed with religious activity. Like you are all about how you look. You're all about the humble brag. You're really good at like, hey, I'm so tired today. Ask me why, why? because I was up all night reading my Bible. Oh man, You know, I know you read your Bible like five minutes a day. I read my Bible all night long. I mean, it's just amazing. And so you, you begin to be obsessed with how you look and, and, and this was the Pharisees of Jesus' day. So both of them got a lot of grief but both of these are distortions of, of really important things that the scriptures are, are, are literal. They're the, the, the commandments of God. When he says not to do something or to do something, he literally means that. But they're also there to provide us a lesson. And I love that Jesus, he, he really helps us with all of this. If you're like, well, I don't know all the commandments. Jesus says in John 13, 34, he says a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus is like, if you don't know what to do, just love people, You know, which is really what we are as this gathering. We are a community of people loving God and loving others. That's really what we're all about. So uh, we have to understand this, and this is a foundation for where we're going today because as we talk about the resurrection, um, it's not just sort of a metaphor. As we read through scripture, it's not there just to kind of teach us a lesson. It actually is the truth. Jesus was actually uh, resurrected. And so if you wanna open up to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12, um, that's where we're gonna start as we walk through scripture by scripture. Um, And if you don't have a Bible here today, just encourage you to download the ACF Church app on your phone and uh, follow along with us there. I'll just assume that you're not on Facebook, but you know, that's cool, that's cool. Or I'll assume that you're sharing this message with people on Facebook, that's cool too. So, First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12, he's gonna deal with the Sadducees specifically who did not believe in a physical resurrection. He says this, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? So he's saying, you kinda of have to take it or leave, leave it. Like if you believe that Christ is resurrected from the dead, then isn't it possible that other people are resurrected from the dead? And now, I, I just, I, I, as I think about these two sections of groups, I think, you know, once again, we give them a hard time, but at least they're thinking about what's coming. At least they're arguing about what's coming next and what's in the future, like when's the last time you had an argument with one of your buddies about are we resurrected or are we not? You know, is this like what you talk about around the water cooler at work? You know, is this when you get together with the other moms, are you like, hey, are we resurrected? You know, what's happening next? What's, What's going on in eternity? At least they're thinking about what's next. I would say for many of us, we don't think about it at all. We honestly, you know, it's like, well, yeah, Christ is resurrected from the dead. I guess we are maybe, you know. And I was thinking, why is it that we don't think that much about the resurrected life? I think the first thing is that, um, that we're just comfortable. I think we're really comfortable in the world that we live in. For many of us, because we, you know, we've got a warm house to live in, we've got warm food to eat, you know, we're, most of our basic needs are taken care of. We're not like, dear Jesus, just get me to heaven. You know? Now I think as we get older, especially as we start to deal with health issues and concerns like that, we start to think of eternity, right? But for many of us, and, I, and I'm guilty of this too, I'm, I'm young, I'm, I'm healthy, young-ish, right? I'm 35, I'm healthy, I'm doing pretty good in life. It's pretty hard to go, Jesus, just get me to heaven, right? Just Just get me to heaven. I, I feel pretty good right where I'm at. So when we're comfortable, we often don't think about what's coming in eternity. The next would be confusion. I think for many of us, we're just confused about what's coming next, and so we don't think about it. We don't really know how to answer a lot of these different questions, and, and, and we've, we've maybe studied it or thought about it before and not gotten the answers we needed, and so we just don't think about it at all. Or maybe for you, when you think of eternity, you think of heaven, you think of like floating on a cloud, you know, you imagine like these, you, you, like you're, you're, you're just floating around in heaven, walking streets of gold, and so for you, you're just like, this doesn't sound good at all. I mean, give me a flat screen TV and a football game and a lazy boy, like that's heaven for me. And the good news is you're not gonna spend eternity on a cloud, you're gonna spend eternity here. You're gonna spend eternity in a resurrected body on a perfected earth with people around you. it's gonna be, I think, really different than what a lot of people think of when they think of eternity, so it's something worth considering. It's something worth thinking and studying about. The next one would be overconfidence. I think people don't think about eternity because oftentimes we're just kind of convinced that we're gonna get to whatever's good, right? I mean, we're just like, hey, if there is a heaven, if there's a place where I'm gonna spend eternity with God, I'm sure I'm going, because I'm a good guy, right? I do good things, I help people out, you know? I'm a decent human being all on my own, and this sense of kind of over-self confidence, confidence in our own righteousness, can cause us to be like, well, if there's something good out there, I'm sure, I'm sure I'll get there, I'm sure I'll be fine. Now now these two groups of people, they did think about it a lot and they were wrestling with what is it that's coming next? What is it that's coming next? Now Paul is gonna walk us down this progression of logic. He's gonna walk us down a journey here and, and it's gonna get darker before it gets light, so just heads up, buckle up, it's gonna get a little bit difficult as we go on. Verse 13, he says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So either way, if you proclaim Christ is raised, then you have to believe that there is a resurrection of the dead. And and on the other side, if you do believe that you could be resurrected, because there are people here and people probably in our community who believe, no, I could be resurrected to some kind of life next, then doesn't that stand you to believe that Christ could be resurrected? Doesn't it stand you to believe that maybe Jesus was actually resurrected to life? See, this belief that potentially we are not raised and potentially Christ has not been raised leads to these very devastating things. I mean, in the end, we realize that this life will go nowhere if there is no resurrection of the dead. In the end, Christ isn't resurrected, we're not resurrected, God is a liar and this book is worthless. That's really what it comes down to. We really need to reconcile this in our hearts and go, is there a resurrection? Can I be resurrected? Can Christ be resurrected? Let's keep going, he says in verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. In other words, if there's no resurrection of Christ, then why are you here listening to me, right? Some of you are like, I've been thinking that for 15 minutes, right? (laughs) But if you are a believer that, that Jesus is alive, there is a resurrected Christ, then there's a reason to to gather, a reason to to be here. But if there is no resurrection of Christ, our preaching is in vain. Paul is saying, what you're listening to is in vain. My work here is in vain. This idea of the resurrection is the hinging point by which all other truth is hung, and so it, it doesn't matter what I have to say if there is no resurrection of the dead. You might as well be golfing or watching the Iditarod start or doing something, not golfing this time of year, but doing something out in Alaska, enjoying yourself, uh, somewhere else if Christ has not been raised, but it actually gets worse. Not only is am I wasting my time, is this you know, a waste of, of my position, but also he says this, your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is in vain. In other words, he's saying either it all matters or nothing matters. We have to come down to that. Either the teachings of Jesus, all of them are true and all of them matter, or if there is no resurrection, none of them matter and your faith is actually a wasted faith. And I would say a lot of Christians struggle with this because we love choose your own adventure Christianity, right? Anybody read those books back in the day? I used to love them. You just like, you can kind of choose the next chapter, choose where the story was going. You had the control. And I would say for many of us, we like this kind of Christianity. I want to control it. I want to pick and choose throughout the scriptures what I want to believe, when I want to believe it, and Paul's really pushing on an important fact, that either it all matters or none of it matters, and it comes out, I would say, your belief in the resurrection or your belief in your ability to be resurrected comes out in how we, how we speak. A lot of people, you know, when, when somebody prominent dies, we'll see all over Facebook, we'll see rest in peace, Right? And, and it's interesting to me when, when my Christian friends type that in, and rest in peace, whoever, and I'm like, do you realize that that's a reflection of how you see your eternity and how you see their eternity? Like, if you're a believer in Jesus, they're not just resting in peace, right? They don't just go in the ground. As all people, we go before God. On the day of judgment, we will go before God and he'll, he'll either say, hey, welcome home, my good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I never knew you. There's no, like, resting in peace. There's no neutrality when it comes to the resurrection. So we need to acknowledge that, acknowledge that we we got to choose what we believe in. And this idea that your faith is in vain, I just think even in our world that people are thirsty to have faith in something, aren't they? I mean, even if you're not a Christian and you don't believe in any of this stuff, you may say things like, hey, keep the faith, If there was a natural disaster tomorrow, you'd hear a lot of people saying those things. Hey, just, just, you gotta have hope. You gotta have faith. And I'm always thinking, in what, right? Like, does it not matter what you're keeping the faith in? What is the value in telling somebody, hey, keep the faith, if it's faith in nothing? In the end, he's saying, your faith is in vain. If you have faith in this world, which I would say there's something in the soul of every human being that's like, there's gotta be something better coming. There's gotta be something that's, something good that's gonna come from all of this. And, and if you, you have that sense in your heart, but maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, I would say that is a gift from God. That is God saying, hey, this is my fingerprint on you. There should be faith, and there should be hope, and it should all come back to Jesus and back to the resurrection, but if you have those things, faith and hope, you have to go, well, well, why? Why do I have hope? In the end, what Paul is saying, there is no hope. And without resurrection, your faith is irrelevant. Your faith is absolutely irrelevant. There's no living God, there's no life coming after our life, and so what are we really all living for? This idea of, hey, just keep the faith or keep the hope, it's sort of like a, it's like a warm blanket um, I love this time of year the, the other day um, we were watching the snow come down and, and my wife Amanda was doing the laundry and she cleaned some of our blankets and she walks out of there and I love this she threw this like warm blanket over on me and, you, and I just you just kind of like curl up it and she's just, just like oh it feels so good I love it. the snow's coming down it feels great I'm all nice and warm and it was warm for like five minutes right and then I'm like hey throw this back in the dryer because this thing's cold again And that's what it's like when you're just like, hey, just keep the faith, keep the hope. It's kind of like a warm blanket for your soul for a minute. Oh, yeah, everybody, let's just have faith. Let's have hope, right? Faith and hope. And at some point, somebody goes, wait a minute. What are we putting our faith in? And you go, oh, blanket got cold, right? I don't know. I don't know, but it just feels good. It feels good to say, let's have faith. Let's have hope. Paul says, no, you need to have faith in something. Jesus needs to be the foundation of your faith, the foundation of your hope. Your hope and your faith need a foundation, I would say that Jesus is it. Verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. He says if there is no resurrection, Paul, Peter, all the others are liars. They're liars, and I would say the same would be true about me, if there is no resurrection, I'm just a liar. I'm just up here spouting off things that don't really matter. And I would encourage you, you kinda have to at some point pick which side of the fence you land on, because it it definitely affects whether or not you should be here, whether or not you should be part of this community, like do I believe in the resurrection? In the end, you gotta kinda deal with that. It'd be sorta like, let's say you, you signed up for a college history class. And you go in and the teacher starts teaching, and there's you know a hundred of you in the in the classroom, and as he 's teaching, you realize that he 's making up about fifty percent of what he 's teaching right and, and, and you're looking around and you're like, "Does anybody else get this and they 're all taking notes you know and you're like, "This is all made up you're on Google, you know right you're a wikipedian Wikipedian i don't know how you say that you're doing the wiki search on all this stuff and and it's all false, and you know at least fifty percent of it is a little bit of truth in there. And let's say after a couple days of this, you, you, you're just fed up. You go up to the teacher and you're like, hey, I'm sorry, I got to transfer out of your class. And he's like, why? And you're like, well, because I realize that you're making up 50% of what you're teaching. And he goes, but what about the other 50%, right? And you're like, no, it doesn't matter. It undermines, like, well, I'm not getting a good education here. This is a waste of time. And at some point, you have to go, like, and this is what Paul is saying, is why are you even reading what I'm writing? Why are you even studying this? Why does it even matter if if like half of it's made up? So I'm just, I'm trying to help you understand the resurrection is really important. And what you believe about it is really, really important. And then here comes verse 17. I would say the the pivotal passage of the entire chapter, verse 15, we're gonna keep coming back to this because it's so important. In verse 17 he says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Did you catch that? If Christ is not alive, then we are still hopelessly liable for all of the hell that we've created on this earth. And all of our sins and our pride and our arrogance and our selfishness is still on us. That's what he's saying. He's saying, let's walk this line of logic all the way to the bottom of the hole. And let's acknowledge that if there is no resurrection, if there is nothing coming, if Christ has not been raised, then you will not be raised. Your faith is futile and you are still in, this, in your sins. In the end, Jesus was just another man who was martyred for what he believed. He's dead and gone. And there is, when I read that, I was just reading this this week over and over again, I was like, man, that is a level of hopelessness that I'm not sure how to get out of. And I would say for for many people in the world, they are at that place. When I ask you this question, are you still in your sins? Would you say this today? Would you say that you are still in your sins? Some of you would say, absolutely. Yeah, it's still on me. In fact, I carry around things that I've done, things that I've been through. It's still all over me. I know the hopelessness that you're talking about, Brian. Thank you very much. I appreciate you taking me back there for a few minutes. I know what it feels like to just be caught up in my sin but you might say but there is no resurrection nothing's coming so why does it matter or others of you in the room might say yes I am still in my sins and it does matter and I don't believe in the resurrection but I try to be a really good person to make up for it I give money to every kickstarter campaign I see you know I help out people I do everything that I can but I, you got to be honest at some point you lay down in bed at night and you think it's just never enough I cannot seem to rid myself of what I've done or where I've been by doing good things. There has to be a solution. Praise God, there is. Praise God, there's resurrection. Praise God, Jesus came. What a gift he is. But I would say that Paul, what he's trying to do is he's trying to get to the Christians that he's speaking to. He's writing a letter to the church, and he asks the church, are you still in your sins? And the answer from the church should be, Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I am free. I am free. And I feel it sometimes. And, and I struggle with it sometimes. And maybe I go back there once in a while. But at the same time, what I know to be true is that I am free from my sins. I believe differently. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think differently. And I'm actually starting to live differently, Brian. I, I am so free from my sins. I believe this truth to be so true that I'm beginning to think different about my life to think different about the people around me and about God, I'm actually starting to live a little differently as I do it. And Paul's really trying to help you see that without this there's nothing but hopelessness or as Ernest Hemingway wrote, life is a dirty trick, a short journey from nothingness to nothingness. And as we know about Hemingway, then he took his life. And at the end of this whole line of logic and not believing in in our resurrection and ultimately Christ's resurrection, There is really nothing left to live for. But when we believe in the resurrection, hope is unleashed in our lives. When we believe in the resurrection, hope is unleashed in our lives. And the possibilities are endless, like real hope, not just a warm blanket that gets cold after five minutes, right? We're talking about like real hope, hope that that goes beyond the moment. Hope that you actually can be free from this issue that you're dealing with or from this, this, this problem that you had in the past, that you can actually move forward from that. Verse 19, Paul keeps driving it home. He says, and if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And, and in the end, I would say that there are people who see spirituality or Christianity as something just for here and just for now. Like, it's helping me live better right now, it's helping me feel better about my life right now, but honestly, I'm not so sure about resurrection or what's to come, and Paul would say, if that's all you have, then we are wasting our time and we are of most to be pitied. I remember, uh, it was like a few months ago, I was driving into Anchorage with my kids and we, we actually were in Eagle River and we, we drove by Cold Stones and they're like, hey, can we get cold stones, dad? Can we get cold stones later? And I'm like, sure, after we run around, we'll get some cold stones. And, and my mind is somewhere else, right? So we're just driving around. And, and then like 20 minutes later, you know, we're driving around Eagle River and I turn around, I, I start to come back and we go right past cold stones. And we get into Chugiak and one of them pipes up and they're like, hey, hey, didn't you say we were gonna get some ice cream? And I'm like, oh, dad fail, right? And I'm like, sorry, guys, we're already past it, we're heading home. And you would, have, you would have thought I chopped their legs off. I mean, the, the, the sheer pain coming from the back seat of this vehicle. is just tears and screaming and sadness. And I thought I was going to get ice cream and then you're not getting it. And, and I was, this is the image I had in my mind of like, is this like the cruel trick that we're all going to be in this situation where we're like, oh, there's, oh yeah, there's a resurrection. And oh, sorry, no ice cream. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's like, hey, if that's the truth, then we're of the most p- to be pitied, is that we've dedicated our life to following Jesus, and in the end, there is nothing to come for, for him or for us. But verse, t- verse 20, praise God for verse 20, it says this. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And this, you guys, is the foundation of the hope that we have in this world. If you're here today and you've, you've wanted to have hope, And maybe you you just can't see enough in the world to put your hope in, put your hope in Jesus. I believe that he is the foundation that you've been needing for hope and for faith in a world that is so torn up and so broken. And I know that you've got things that you've been through and I know you've got reasons to not believe and I know you've probably got issues with God. And if I heard your issues, I might even believe that, man, I'd have the same issues with God if, if I went through that. But at some point, you have to look this whole process in the eye and deal with all of these things. And if you're a Christian in the room, you have to be able to answer this question, are you still in your sins? Are you still? Because if there is no resurrection, the answer is yes. But if there is a resurrection, you are not still in your sins. You are free from that. And you got to have an answer for that. And you got to be able to believe that because you're, you're either in all of your sins or in none of them. And, and, Christian in the room, I just want you to know you would probably, for, for most of us, answer the question this way I am not in my sins except for that one or except for those ones. Like, Brian, I know I am free from my past, free from my sins. I know that these things do not have a hold on my life except for this, this one. And Jesus would say to you from the resurrection, He would say, You are alive in me, uh, you are free from these things, and you can actually have peace throughout these things. And so I'm gonna go to Romans 10:9. I think this is where we're gonna close out the series every time that we, uh, that we teach this. And I, I just wanna keep coming back to, it really is a simple next step. If you don't know what your next step is, it's really a simple next step and it's just simply to believe. He says this, he says, and if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now I know that's not easy. It's not easy, but it's simple. It really is a simple thing. You don't need to know all the theology. You don't need to know all the verses. You really, in a a very simple way, can walk from darkness to life, from unbeliever to believer, into somebody who's spending eternity with God by simply saying, God, I believe, I believe. You make that decision in your heart, and I believe that's something called salvation. It's, It's a moment in your life where everything will be different from that moment on. I'm gonna give you a chance to do that. Can we bow our heads and pray together? Father, we, uh, we just confess that there are, there are parts of us that don't believe this, even for those of us that have been in the church for our entire lives. And I'm, I'm sure there are people in the room who haven't believed it ever, that you truly are alive and there can be hope in this hopeless world. So God, we wanna make a claim, we wanna uh, put, a, put a stake in the ground today and, and say that we believe that, that you are alive. That as we see the evidence stacking up we're having a hard time defending our unbelief. We see that all of this points to their truly being a savior for the world. And we believe that you are that savior. We believe that you are alive today. And God, you're not simply external to us, but you actually live within those who call themselves your church. And God, I just pray that, I pray that we could let everything go. That we'd allow the cross to be fully effective in our lives even in the things that we cling to, the things that we've held onto for years, God. We believe with our entire hearts, God, that that you died for those things as well. You died to give us peace, you died to give us hope, and God, thank you that you are a foundation for the hope that we crave as human beings. That it's not an empty hope. Uh, God, it's not simply emotion, but it's true that there truly can be life to come. That the life isn't simply this hopelessness, this, this walk into, into death, into nothingness, but it's a walk into life. So we receive that today, God. I pray as we worship in the next few moments that we could let some things go, that we could trust the power of the cross, that we'd allow you to cleanse us and wash us and give us new life the way that you desire to. God, in that grace that it flow from our lips in the way that we sing and honor you together, and God, that this would lead to not only hope being unleashed in our own hearts, but hope being unleashed in the world. Because we believe, God, that when you change our hearts, it empowers the mission that you've given us. That you won't be able to stop us from speaking about the goodness of God because of what you've done in our hearts when we truly receive it. So, Father, I just pray for ACF. I pray for everyone here that we'd be a receiving church, that we could receive fully from you so that we might give what you call us to give to the world, hope and joy and peace to people who are desperate for it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.